0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Kirsten Ferrari. Vindication of the Rights of Woman, by Mary Wollstonecraft. Chapter five, Part two, Section five point two. Dr. Fordyce's sermons have long made a part of a young woman's library. Nay, girls at school are allowed to read them. But I should instantly dismiss them from my pupils if I wish to strengthen her understanding by leading her to form sound principles on a broad basis. Or were I only anxious to cultivate her taste, though they must be allowed to contain many sensible observations. Dr. Fordyce may have had a very laudable end in view— But these discourses are written in such an affected style, that were it only on that account, and I had nothing to object against his mellifluous precepts, I should not allow girls to peruse them, unless I designed to hunt every spark of nature out of their composition, melting every human quality into female weakness and artificial grace. I say artificial, for true grace arises from some kind of independence of mind children careless of pleasing and only anxious to amuse themselves are often very graceful and the nobility who have mostly lived with inferiors and always had the command of money acquire a graceful ease of deportment which should rather be termed habitual grace of body than that superior gracefulness which is truly the expression of the mind this mental grace not noticed by vulgar eyes often flashes across a rough countenance and irradiating every feature shows simplicity and independence of mind. It is then we read characters of immortality in the eye, and see the soul in every gesture, though when at rest, neither the face nor limbs may have much beauty to recommend them, or the behavior, anything peculiar to attract universal attention. The mass of mankind, however, look for more tangible beauty— Yet simplicity is in general admired, when people do not consider what they admire, and can there be simplicity without sincerity? But to have done with remarks that are in some measure desultory, though naturally excited by the subject. In declamatory periods Dr. Fordyce spins out Rousseau's eloquence, and in most sentimental rant details his opinions respecting the female character— and the behaviour which woman ought to assume to render her lovely he shall speak for himself, for thus he makes nature address man. Behold these smiling innocents whom I have graced with my fairest gifts and committed to your protection. Behold them with love and respect, treat them with tenderness and honour. They are timid and want to be defended. They are frail. Oh, do not take advantage of their weakness let their fears and blushes endear them let their confidence in you never be abused but is it possible that any of you can be such barbarians so supremely wicked as to abuse it can you find it in your hearts to despoil the gentle trusting creatures of their treasure or do anything to strip them of their native robe of virtue Cursed be the impious hand that would dare to violate the unblemished form of chastity. Thou wretch, thou ruffian, forbear, nor venture to provoke heaven's fiercest vengeance. I know not any comment that can be made seriously on this curious passage, and I could produce many similar ones, some so very sentimental that I have heard rational men use the word indecent when they mentioned them with disgust. "'Throughout there is a display of cold, artificial feelings, "'and that parade of sensibility "'which boys and girls should be taught to despise "'as the sure mark of a little, vain mind. "'Florid appeals are made to heaven, "'and to the beauteous innocence, "'the fairest images of heaven here below, "'whilst sober sense is left far behind. "'This is not the language of the heart, "'nor will it ever reach it, "'though the ear may be tickled.' I shall be told, perhaps, that the public have been pleased with these volumes. True, and Hervey's meditations are still read, though he equally sinned against sense and taste. I particularly object to the lover-like phrases of pumped-up passion, which are everywhere interspersed. If women ever be allowed to walk without leading-strings, why must they be cajoled into virtue by artful flattery and sexual compliments?' "'Speak to them the language of truth and soberness, "'and away with the lullaby strains of condescending endearment. "'Let them be taught to respect themselves as rational creatures, "'and not led to have a passion for their own insipid persons. "'It moves my gall to hear a preacher "'discanting on dress and needlework, "'and still more to hear him address the British fair, "'the fairest of the fair, as if they had only feelings.' Even recommending piety, he uses the following argument Never, perhaps, does a fine woman strike more deeply than when composed into pious recollection, and possessed with the noblest considerations, she assumes, without knowing it, superior dignity and new graces, so that the beauties of holiness seem to radiate about her, and the bystanders are almost induced to fancy her already worshipping amongst her kindred angels why are women to be thus bred up with a desire of conquest? The very epithet used in this sense gives me a sickly qualm. Does religion and virtue offer no stronger motives, no brighter reward? Must they always be debased by being made to consider the sex of their companions? Must they be taught always to be pleasing?' and when levelling their small artillery at the heart of man, is it necessary to tell them that a little sense is sufficient to render their attention incredibly soothing? As a small degree of knowledge entertains in a woman, so from a woman, though for a different reason, a small expression of kindness delights, particularly if she have beauty. I should have supposed for the same reason. Why are girls to be told that they resemble angels, but to sink them below women? Or that a gentle, innocent female is an object that comes nearer to the idea which we have formed of angels than any other? Yet they are told at the same time that they are only like angels when they are young and beautiful. Consequently, it is their persons, not their virtues, that procure them this homage. Idle, empty words! What can such delusive flattery lead to but vanity and folly? The lover, it is true, has a poetic license to exalt his mistress, his reason is the bubble of his passion, and he does not utter a falsehood when he borrows the language of adoration. His imagination may raise the idol of his heart, unblamed, above humanity, and happy would it be for women if they were only flattered by the men who loved them—I mean, who loved the individual, not the sex. But should a grave preacher interlard his discourses with such fooleries— in sermons or novels however voluptuousness is always true to its text men are allowed by moralists to cultivate as nature directs different qualities and assume the different characters that the same passions modified almost to infinity give to each individual a virtuous man may have a choleric or a sanguine constitution, be gay or grave, unreproved, be firm till almost overbearing, or weakly submissive, have no will or opinion of his own. But all women are to be levelled, by meekness and docility, into one character, of yielding softness and gentle compliance. I will use the preacher's own words, Quote, Let it be observed that in your sex manly exercises are never graceful; that in them a tone and figure, as well as an air and deportment of the masculine kind, are always forbidding; and that men of sensibility desire in every woman soft features and a flowing voice, a form not robust, and demeanor delicate and gentle." Is not the following portrait the portrait of a house slave: I am astonished at the folly of many women, who are still reproaching their husbands for leaving them alone, for preferring this or that company to theirs, for treating them with this and the other mark of disregard or indifference, when to speak the truth they have themselves in a great measure to blame. Not that I would justify the men in anything wrong on their part, but had you behaved to them with more respectful observance, and more equal tenderness, studying their humours, overlooking their mistakes, submitting to their opinions in matters indifferent, passing by little instances of unevenness, caprice, or passion— giving soft answers to hasty words, complaining as seldom as possible, and making it your daily care to relieve their anxieties and prevent their wishes, to enliven the hour of dullness and call up the ideas of felicity. Had you pursued this conduct, I doubt not but you would have maintained and even increased their esteem, so far as to have secured every degree of influence that could conduce to their virtue or your mutual satisfaction. And your house might at this day have been the abode of domestic bliss. Such a woman ought to be an angel, or she is an ass, for I discern not a trace of the human character, neither reason nor passion, in this domestic drudge whose being is absorbed in that of a tyrant's. Still, Dr. Fordyce must have very little acquaintance with the human heart, if he really supposed that such conduct would bring back wandering love, instead of exciting contempt. No, beauty, gentleness, etc., etc., may gain a heart. But esteem, the only lasting affection, can alone be obtained by virtue supported by reason. It is respect for the understanding that keeps alive tenderness for the person." As these volumes are so frequently put into the hands of young people, I have taken more notice of them than, strictly speaking, they deserve. But as they have contributed to vitiate the taste, and enervate the understanding of many of my fellow-creatures, I could not pass them silently over. SECTION 5.3 such paternal solitude pervades Dr. Gregory's legacy to his daughters, that I enter on the task of criticism with affectionate respect. But as this little volume has many attractions to recommend it to the notice of the most respectable part of my sex, I cannot silently pass over arguments that so speciously support opinions which, I think, have had the most baneful effect on the morals and manners of the female world.' His easy familiar style is particularly suited to the tenor of his advice, and the melancholy tenderness which his respect for the memory of a beloved wife diffuses through the whole work renders it very interesting. Yet there is a degree of concise elegance conspicuous in many passages that disturbs this sympathy, and we pop on the author when we only expected to meet the father. "'Besides,' Having two objects in view, he seldom adhered steadily to either, for, wishing to make his daughters amiable, and fearing lest unhappiness should be only the consequence of instilling sentiments that might draw them out of the track of common life, without enabling them to act with consonant independence and dignity, he checks the natural flow of his thoughts, and neither advises one thing nor the other. In the preface he tells them a mournful truth, quote, that they will hear at least once in their lives the genuine sentiments of a man who has no interest in deceiving them, End quote. Hapless woman! What can be expected from thee when the beings on whom thou art said naturally to depend for reason and support have all an interest in deceiving thee? This is the root of the evil that has shed a corroding mildew on all thy virtues, and, blighting in the bud thy open faculties, has rendered thee the weak thing thou art. It is this separate interest, this insidious state of warfare, that undermines morality and divides mankind. If love has made some women wretched, how many more has the cold, unmeaning intercourse of gallantry rendered vain and useless? yet this heartless attention to the sex is reckoned so manly so polite that till society is very differently organized i fear this vestige of gothic manners will not be done away by a more reasonable and affectionate mode of conduct besides To strip it of its imaginary dignity, I must observe that in the most civilized European states this lip service prevails in a very great degree accompanied with extreme dissoluteness of morals. In Portugal, the country that I particularly allude to, it takes place of the most serious moral obligations, for a man is seldom assassinated when in the company of a woman. The savage hand of Rapine is unnerved by this chivalrous spirit and if the stroke of vengeance cannot be stayed, the lady is entreated to pardon the rudeness, and depart in peace, though sprinkled, perhaps, with her husband's or brother's blood. I shall pass over his strictures on religion, because I mean to discuss that subject in a separate chapter. The remarks relative to behaviour, though many of them very sensible, I entirely disapprove of, because it appears to me to be beginning, as it were, at the wrong end, A cultivated understanding, and an affectionate heart, will never want starched rules of decorum. Something more substantial than seemliness will be the result. And without understanding, the behaviour here recommended would be rank affectation. Decorum, indeed, is the one thing needful. Decorum is to supplant nature, and banish all simplicity and variety of character out of the female world. Yet what good end can all this superficial counsel produce? It is, however, much easier to point out this or that mode of behavior than to set the reason to work. But when the mind has been stored with useful knowledge, and strengthened by being employed, the regulation of the behavior may safely be left to its guidance. Why, for instance, should the following caution be given, when art of every kind must contaminate the mind— And why entangle the grand motives of action which reason and religion equally combine to enforce with pitiful worldly shifts and sleight-of-hand tricks to gain the applause of gaping, tasteless fools? "'Be even cautious in displaying your good sense.'" Footnote. Let women once acquire good sense, and if it deserve the name it will teach them, or of what use it will be how to employ it. The quote continues, "'it will be thought you assume a superiority over the rest of the company. "'But if you happen to have any learning, keep it a profound secret, "'especially from the men, who generally look with a jealous and malignant eye "'on a woman of great parts and a cultivated understanding. "'If men of real merit, as he afterwards observes, are superior to this meanness, "'where it's the necessity that the behaviour of the whole sex should be modulated to please fools,' or men who, having little claim to respect as individuals, choose to keep close in their phalanx. Men, indeed, who insist on their common superiority, having only this sexual superiority, are certainly very excusable. There would be no end to rules for behaviour, if it be proper always to adopt the tone of the company, for thus, for ever varying the key, a flat would often pass for a natural note, Surely it would have been wiser to have advised women to improve themselves till they rose above the fumes of vanity, and then to let the public opinion come round. For where are rules of accommodation to stop? The narrow path of truth and virtue inclines neither to the right nor left. It is a straightforward business, and those who are earnestly pursuing their road may bound over many decorous prejudices, without leaving modesty behind. Make the heart clean— and give the head employment, and I will venture to predict that there will be nothing offensive in the behaviour. The air of fashion which so many young people are so eager to attain always strikes me like the studied attitudes of some modern prince, copied with tasteless servility after the antiques. The soul is left out, and none of the parts are tied together by what may be properly termed character. This varnish of fashion— which seldom sticks very close to sense, may dazzle the weak. But leave nature to itself, and it will seldom disgust the wise. Besides, when a woman has sufficient sense not to pretend to anything which she does not understand in some degree, there is no need of determining to hide her talents under a bushel. Let things take their natural course, and all will be well. It is this system of dissimulation throughout the volume that I despise— Women always seem to be this and that, yet virtue might apostrophize them, in the words of Hamlet, Seems? I know not seems. Have that within that passeth show. Still, the same tone occurs, for in another place, after recommending, without sufficiently discriminating, delicacy, he adds, The men will complain of your reserve. They will assure you that a franker behaviour will make you more amiable. "'But trust me, they are not sincere when they tell you so. "'I acknowledge that on some occasions it might render you more agreeable as companions, "'but it would make you less amiable as women, "'an important distinction which many of your sex are not aware of.' "'This desire of being always women is the very consciousness that degrades the sex.' Excepting with a lover, I must repeat with emphasis a former observation. It would be well if they were only agreeable or rational companions. But in this respect his advice is even inconsistent with a passage which I mean to quote with the most marked approbation. The sentiment that a woman may allow all innocent freedoms, provided her virtue is secure, is both grossly indelicate and dangerous, and has proved fatal to many of your sex. With this opinion I perfectly coincide. A man or a woman of any feeling must always wish to convince a beloved object that it is the caresses of the individual, not the sex, that is received and returned with pleasure, and that the heart, rather than the senses, is moved. Without this natural delicacy, love becomes a selfish personal gratification that soon degrades the character— I carry this sentiment still further affection when love is out of the question authorizes many personal endearments that naturally flowing from an innocent heart give life to the behavior but the personal intercourse of appetite gallantry or vanity is despicable when a man squeezes the hand of a pretty woman handing her to a carriage whom he has never seen before she will consider such an impertinent freedom in the light of an insult, if she have any true delicacy, instead of being flattered by this unmeaning homage to beauty. These are the privileges of friendship, or the momentary homage which the heart pays to virtue, when it flashes suddenly on the notice. Mere animal spirits have no claim to the kindnesses of affection. Wishing to feed the affections with what is now the food of vanity— I would fain persuade my sex to act from simpler principles. Let them merit love, and they will obtain it, though they may never be told that the power of a fine woman over the hearts of men, of men of the finest parts, is even beyond what she conceives. I have already noticed the narrow cautions with respect to duplicity, female softness, delicacy of constitution. For these are the changes which he rings round without ceasing, in a more decorous manner. It is true, than Rousseau, but it all comes home to the same point, and whoever is at the trouble to analyze these sentiments will find the first principles not quite so delicate as the superstructure. The subject of amusements is treated in too cursory a manner, but with the same spirit. When I treat of friendship, love, and marriage, it will be found that we materially differ in opinion— I shall not then forestall what I have to observe on these important subjects, but confine my remarks to the general tenor of them, to that cautious family prudence, to those confined views of partial, unenlightened affection, which exclude pleasure and improvement, by vainly wishing to ward off sorrow and error, and by thus guarding the heart and mind, destroy also all their energy. It is far better to be often deceived than never to trust— to be disappointed in love, than never to love; to lose a husband's fondness, than to forfeit his esteem. Happy would it be for the world, and for individuals, of course, if all this unavailing solicitude to attain worldly happiness on a confined plan were turned into an anxious desire to improve the understanding. Wisdom is the principal thing; therefore get wisdom, and with all thy gettings get understanding. How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity, and hate knowledge, saith wisdom to the daughters of men? End of chapter five, part two.